folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. This is episode 221 of Channel Massive. I'm back. This is Noah. After my little vacation took me elsewhere, I've returned to Channel Massive, and the stalwart founder of Channel Massive is, of course, always here, Mark. <laughs> the immovable object. <laughs> He's the cornerstone, cornerstone, but also a time capsule. Yeah. <laughs> Someday I will open up and save all mankind with the, what's been, anyway. Keep your pants on. Yeah, okay, I'll keep my pants on. Anyway, we are so glad to have you back, Noah. It Thank was you. hell recording with Bob. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. He did it on total, total last minute notice and was great. He did a great job, so much appreciated. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'm glad glad you're back. Um, so, how was the Asian sex tour? Do you have a notched belt now? <laughs> no. Oh. I went out to Florida to see one of my best friends out there. He lives in Fort Lauderdale, and then we went to. I was thrilled when he I found out that he would be willing to go to Orlando and uh, go to theme parks and ride roller coasters because that's just really all I wanted oh, to yeah. do. I was so excited because I I didn't know if I'd have an a reason anytime soon in my lifespan to go do that after doing it back in 1999 yeah. as a post-college celebration type thing. And I went to Universal Studios and I went to Islands of Adventure and also Disney's Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom I'd never been to before and Islands of Adventure and Universal Studios had a bunch of new stuff that wasn't there oh, 13 cool. years ago. Yeah, uh, that's cool, man. Did you uh but, did you do hit yeah. up caught up or anything? No, I think once in my lifespan is enough for Epcot oh. because it just really doesn't have anything going on for it. They added since I've been there they added a Hollywood the the California coast and roller coaster yeah. that they also have out in California. And overall, I don't have you been to Epcot? Oh yeah, yeah. I like Space Mountain and uh uh, yeah, which is in the Magic Kingdom. I think Epcot itself is just boring. It's fairly boring, yeah. It's got like this Lake of Nations thing, and it's got all these countries represented around it, but yep. you just quickly find the really cheesy souvenir stores that really don't have any substance because you're not actually in China yeah, I got, or Australia. I got swindled in Denmark for some beer money. It was very bad. <laughs> um, yeah, the only thing that was cool there is, and then even the, the giant ball theme has a little really slow-moving educational Right. Right inside of it. It's just lame. Um, but Animal Kingdom was awesome because it had this huge new uh, Everest, Expedition Everest roller coaster. Oh, that's cool. And oh, they I've built this that. replica of Everest that just like towers over the landscape. I mean, as you're approaching, just like it's it's like triple the height of the tree line. I've seen a in- POV <laughs> ride through on um, YouTube of that one. It looks really cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's all Yeti attacks. And oh, my gosh. You. Well, when you get to the very first part where the track's just ripped out by the Yeti, 
yeah, you're going forward, and then that's when the track changes behind you, and you fall backwards into the mountain in the dark. And I swear, it just it's such a steep drop and such a sharp turn. It feels like you're going upside down. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. And then there's like a huge drop after that when you start going the other direction, and the track changes course again. And that's when they take your pictures. And that was the one picture that I had taken on a ride where I'm like, holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is fun. That one scared me, though. <laughs> but we did so much. We rode it three times. And the Harry Potter ride was really, really well done. Uh, it's one of those, like, simulated experiences thing. It's, except unlike the Spider-Man ride at Universal Studios Islands of Adventure, this one actually has you almost going upside down backwards and upside down forwards. You know, oh, you wow. Forward, and it's got these giant IMAX screens that it sits you in front of and has all this custom-made film that were done with it. That was done with the actors right after the original movie, so they they still look the right age, of course. <laughs> like you fly over Hogwarts and you get caught in the middle of a Quidditch game, and the Dementors attack, and then you go into the forest, and then like some of it's actual real sets. And so in the forest, there's gigantic mechanical spiders, which were pretty creepy. And then there's another part where gigantic Dementors attack you, and they actually take your picture if you, you're not realizing it. And then you go to another area where there's the sheet of water that's falling down in front of you, and they actually project your face in the sheet of water to represent the Dementor sucking your soul out of oh, you. Wow. And it's a little effect, and it's such a cool little thing that they do. Uh, but, wow, freaking awesome. Wow, that is... <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of cool stuff. I definitely recommend anybody who can go out there who is able to. Yeah. To especially if you like scary, fun rides. Well, that sounds really cool. Oh, I'm glad you get to do that, man. I, I like Orlando. I I can't wait till my kids are old enough to, you know, really get get what they should out of it. Um, yeah, people there with babies. Yeah, like, see, that's the problem. I mean, the kids can't write on anything, so mostly then you're relegated to just walking around and looking at stuff, which is okay. But you know, it's it's just it's so much more fun if they can actually do the rides. Yeah, they actually have a memory from it. Yeah, because as, as you know, when they're that young, like we took our son to SeaWorld, and he, now he thinks killer whales are really cool. And I'm like, you know, you've been splashed by a killer whale, and he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you 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 weren't like that you weren't actually very happy when it happened, but you did. You got splashed by a killer whale. He's like, I don't remember that at all. I'm like, yeah, well, that's that's because we took you when you were too young. <laughs> we did it for ourselves, but you know. It's it's one of those things. It, it is really fun. I lo- I really enjoy Orlando. It's 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 fun to go there and um and try all that stuff. So good for you, man. Glad you got to do that instead of going to some other areas in Florida that aren't so exciting. <laughs> yeah, that we've like been to Destin. as well. <laughs> Nothing against <laughs> Destin now. No haters. I'm just saying it's not as exciting as Orlando. And I, I actually had some video game related monologues or, or dialogues in my head, not dialogues, I guess just thoughts in my head. Cause I rode the men in black ride, which is still as fun as it used to be. It's one of these things where a car moves through a building and you have to shoot aliens that pop out in front of you, kind of like a shooting guy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Chicken butt. I was doing really good. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that I had such a good aim. <laughs> and I'm like, this is definitely video game related. I think. Yeah. Then there was a, since it was October, there were these haunted houses. Oh, that'd be cool. That Done. There was one that was all Walking Dead, and there was one that was all Silent Hill, and they were really well done. I mean, they were high budget haunted houses that had really, I mean, recreating scenes from the television series and 
scary monsters from the video games. But the thing was, is it just didn't scare me that much. And I think there's a couple reasons. One of them was because there's just you're just in a continuous train of people. Right. The, in those two haunted houses, there was a, like four or five girls directly in front of us. And so if you're working at a haunted house, you're, of course, going to jump out the girls because you want them to scream. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was just us kind of watching the girls get scared, <laughs> watching the people quickly walk backwards into their hiding spots. That's really funny. It's just entertaining because the girls would just overreact. And it was, it was kind of like watching a scary movie and not actually being scared, but just like laughing at somebody else right, getting scared. Right. And there's a point where this one girl in front of me, she, uh, she decided she had to pull out her cell phone in the middle of walking through the walking dead. Oh, geez. Thing. And we were walking past the RV, which had been splattered with blood on the inside. The RV had definitely not seen good days recently. And this zombie dude, as we're walking past it, runs out from the front of the RV at this girl while she's checking her text messages. And she just looked up at him and just looked back at her phone and resumed texting. She didn't get, she didn't even flinch. And yet she jumped a whole bunch, a whole bunch of other times. So it was just funny to see somebody like, whatever, I'm texting, get out of my way. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. But I think the other thing that didn't really scare me is that I've played a lot more scary video games. Oh, right, right. So, it's, yeah, you just can't you can't get scared anymore. <laughs> yeah, it really is true. You get desensitized to it. And she's like, eh, whatever. So I guess that just makes us video game players more prepared for the apocalypse. I was going to say, or we're just massively desensitized to violence, and, uh, you know, nothing works anymore. But, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah, it's fine. Speaking of that... um. I believe that Sony is currently undergoing a bit of a nightmare. Yes. Good segue. It is. Listeners, <laughs> We do have a bunch of news stories we're going to go through. We'll tell you, we, we got a really funny email from Hilgi Scott that I wanted to make sure that we mentioned. We'll tell you what we're playing. We've got some general geekery and a cool round table. So it's, it's a nice meaty episode for you, but first big thanks to Mark for collecting a little cachet. Yeah. A, Pouch of news stories, and the first one is the latest hack on the PS3. Oh, when will it ever end? I think apparently it's supposed to end with this because <laughs> it happened. I, I read a technical explanation of it in the comments on a website somewhere, and the way that Sony removed the compromise of getting personal data was they took that information and they put it in like the earliest part of the boot sector that they could. No, it can't be put any earlier in the boot sector. And so this latest hack done by the quote unquote three musketeers, they got access to that area of the boot sector. And since you have access to the very beginning, there's no apparently there's no other place that Sony can put anything. Oh, wow. Here, because there's now just complete access to the entire thing from start to finish. So this has been dubbed by some folks the final hack. Yeah, I guess it was actually the Three Musketeers, they found the keys, the LVO keys that are required to do what they did, but they were going to just sit on it. But somebody in an affiliation with them leaked the keys out, and then uh, like a Chinese hacking group decided to release the first custom firmware to take advantage of it. Um, and since then, the Three Musketeers were like, oh, screw it, we'll just release the damn keys publicly anyway um but so n- but so now 
interesting. It's like this whole noble spin on hacking. Yeah. Oh. Like, like you know what? We don't ever want people to profit from this, so screw that. It just became shareware or freeware. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, they said because I think that was the big thing was it was you know bootleg, uh, you know firmware coming out of China and and other sources too started to emerge because it was leaked throughout the community. And they said, oh, screw this. We'll just make it, you know, it's almost legitimate because it's free, but not really. But um, it definitely takes the wind out of the sails of these other people. Um, but, yeah, it just seems to be one debacle after another debacle. I can't talk today. Um, but it doesn't it? I mean, with Sony, I mean, with their their network, with their firmware. I mean, this is the second time it's happened, but this is the final time it can happen because there's like you say there's nowhere else to go with this um they had released like a magic firmware upgrade that re- basically resecured them but they can't do that now i mean it's over it's game over for this to hide yeah so I, ho- I hope this means as a ps3 owner that i don't now have to be in a permanent state of fear about the security of my personal information but i think this is more this is less about oh yeah Information means stolen, and more about just hacking your PS3 to make it do whatever you want. Right. So now, Noah, the good part is you can easily download this and um, modify your firmware. Now you can play imports and you can download stuff um, with uh, BitTorrent, and you know you don't have to ever buy another PS3 game again. <laughs> and in the words of the Three Musketeers, it's all for one and one for right. all. <laughs> Progress. Uh, also, what do you think of the idea of making progress on the shoulders of children? Yeah, I I think, you know, I mean, we have some young interns where I work, but not this young. Yeah, apparently, Foxconn has, which is an electronics manufacturer over in China, discovered that interns were working in a factory putting stuff together for Nintendo Maybe it's the new Wii U, or maybe it's 3DS, but there were interns... It's all Vitality Sensor. It was the Vitality yeah. Sensor assembly line. They're assembling and then promptly throwing right. it in the truck. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. It, it actually works. Throw it away. Yeah, so for ages age 14 to 16, we're working at a Foxconn factory in Yantai. Wow. Chinese labor laws. This was kind of interesting to me. I guess it's not that unusual if if you live in the U.S., but labor laws in China say you can't recruit anybody less than 16 years years old. So I guess the legal age to work, as it is in U.S., in the U.S. is 16 years old, and there's 14-year-old kids and 15-year-old kids apparently interning, a.k.a. working for free in this factory. Wow. Well, I hope they got some nice perks, like not being beaten. Um (laughs) Yeah, and and apparently this, a China this China Labor Watch organization. This is somebody else. Last month found people who were being forced to intern at another Foxconn <laughs> to receive school credit. Wow! Which Fox, oh, of course not. Interns can leave any time that they want. Oh, yeah, that's a slippery slope there, boy. Well, yeah, I hope in this case, apparently there's there's a labor shortage. There's problems over in China, just as there are pretty much around the world. Yeah, as employment is concerned. And so there could be some shady things going on in the name of progress and business 
that are not cool and there are not happy resolutions other than getting those kids out of the factories. Because it's like I don't know what does that lead to? Does it? What do you would you think, Mark? Well, intern factory does that like secure you a position at the factory? I mean, to, you know that should be kind of that should kind of open a door if you if your performance was good. It, you would think it would open a door within that company or at least a, to resume builder. But because I think they're it sounds like they're doing kind of assembly line, you know, not not say unskilled labor, but I mean it's 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 you know something a child can do because they are right. children. Um, it uh, it I don't know that it's that's really you know I don't know what the next upper echelon is for them. Is it where they have a you know some kind of assembly job where they're not likely to lose fingers? You know I don't know what what the natural progression is for that, but it sure doesn't seem very appealing. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't want to seem to callously point fingers without recognition that some of the U.S. was built on child labor many, many, many years ago, which is awful. Textile industry. Yeah. It's just, it's not like there's that anybody is that some in, not that, that that there aren't industrialized nations out there who can free from blame or accused accused of doing something like that in the past. Right. But, but yeah, it's definitely not good when it happens and hopefully it's minimized as much as possible, if not eliminated. Yeah. Do you think those kids will all grow up hating Nintendo games? This <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of my time at the factory when little well, Timmy you, got caught in the cruncher. Baskin Robbins or Dairy Queen or Ben and Jerry's. It's like, so many of the people that work there, they they probably start out liking ice cream, but then after that, they're like, yeah, uh, no more. Never again. <laughs> Hate it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could see that. On the opposite end of the spectrum, unfortunately, the Boston area continues to have issues with being able to retain employees, Turbine being the latest to announce a bunch of layoffs over in its Boston group. Turbine, the company behind... Dungeons and Dragons Online and Lord of the Rings, uh, games that we talk about frequently as being great examples of why yeah. successful and look at them. They're making money. They're doing the right things, but apparently they're going to have to cut. They've, they've cut. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they said they didn't provide any specifics about how many, lay, how many layups were done, but this falls on the heels of Zynga closing a Cambridge office. And there was another, like a kid's game company that closed down completely over in Boston. It's just too bad to see so many go. But Yeah, and I, I thought kind of interesting was that Tim Schaefer, the guy behind Maniac Mansion and Brutal Legend and Psychonauts, well, I think it was Maniac Mansion, too, he, he worked on. Double Fine, head of Double Fine and previously the most funded video game on Kickstarter that was just surpassed by Project Obsidian, right? Right. Anyway, saying that companies need to get out of this culture of just laying people off once they finish a game. That's really cool when people come out and say that. And, and he cites an example where he could have done that after Psychonauts and chose not to because he was kind of proud of the, the group they had built. Yeah, you know, when I when I got into IT, I was worried about that. It just it seemed like the nature of working in IT ensures that you will be laid off again and again and always looking for work. Right. Fortunately, that has not been the case for me 
yet uh, so far, but it's discouraging to read these stories all the time if you're somebody who's aspiring to be in the video game industry. Yeah, it it almost sounds like you have to, you literally have to do what the those guys that like uh, do financial planning tell you and have you know lay aside like six months worth of salary, which is so easy to do, you know. Um, before when, you know, for that time when things go south. Um, but yeah, it is, it is gotta be just discouraging to hear about what's happening all over the place and to see that, you know, a standard business practice kind of is to lay off, um, you know, a big chunk of the the staff, especially those who are really the produce, you know, the ones who are really producing the content, are the mm-hmm. ones that typically go like the artists, the texture guys, the um, you know the 3D artists, the mu- music people. Um, it seems like they're the ones that go, and some of the and of course some of the developers, and they kind of keep like the, the those hard to fill positions. You know, like if you're a, a real game designer, you know you're you, with with a track record, you probably don't go through this. But those who are actually producing a lot of the content seem to be the ones that just, you know, well, see ya. Yeah. Which is a bummer. I just think about for the companies that I've worked at, there's just a value in retaining employees who you know are compatible with your culture and have gone through the learning curve. Right. You know how to use your tools, or in the case of video games, maybe they know your design philosophy or your gameplay philosophy, how things should be constructed. And it just seems like, uh, I, and I'm sure that, I mean, people make these decisions that are way above my pay grade. So this is total <laughs> unqualified philosophizing. But I would think that how much money do you save? Is the money that you save in the short term by eliminating staff does it really offset the long-term costs of having to rehire people back and get them through that learning curve and get them into the culture and, and all that other stuff? I mean, I guess it should if you're a really huge company maybe, but it seems like a scary game to play. It is hard to get people that, you know, especially if you have a, a life cycle for a game that's like four to five years, Oh, yeah. um, like, by the time somebody comes out of that and has, you know, managed to hang with you and your company through the, you know, we know the hours aren't that great, you know, like 60-hour work weeks and stuff, especially when crunch time comes. Um, and they've managed to, you know, kind of assimilate your culture, your corporate culture. They've been able to, to learn all your buzzword uh, bingo bullshit. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and they are known contributors. And you just go, well... You know, we're gonna roll. We're gonna throw the dice, save a little bit of money, and then for the next game, we hope we get quality people. Seems to me like you know, if your long-term plan is to be a viable game company, you really hang on to those people, and you know, you do the you, even if you're gonna be you know more of a, a I don't know, a pragmatic about it. Say okay, well we'll we'll at least. We'll keep our top 10%. We'll keep, you know, we'll probably keep the next 60% and we'll dump the bottom 30% for performance or whatever. You know, but the mass layoffs where just everybody goes indiscriminately, I just don't get it. Yeah, and I think, do have we heard about, I guess we have heard about layoffs at Blizzard, which kind of surprised me. Just this last yeah. year, you know, 
when you think of the big companies, some of the ones that don't, you don't hear that. You don't hear that happening at Valve. I was thinking of them as an example, but you know, there's that stunning example where the uh, the guy that went on to develop um, Portal was really ill and had um, tried to resign because he was like, I'm I'm screwed. I'm ill. I can't, you know, I can't work. And Gabe Newell said, Hey, your job is to get well. And after that, we'll figure out what we're going to do. And yeah. you just don't see that. I mean, that, so that little bit of investment in karma paid off for Gabe Newell and Valve, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, don't, I can't even say tenfold, like a hundred thousand fold for them. Um, so, so, you know, it's just a different way of thinking, I think. But, yeah, you don't see a bunch of stuff about layoffs at Valve. There's also something about being responsible in how you hire. So, you know, not to, not to like, go off the, on the, the deep end here on this, but it does seem like, and, and this works in the business world in general, so I don't know why it would be totally different for the game industry. You can't mm-hmm. always hire contracts for positions that you – or contractors for positions that you know will be short-term, and there are people who – are, you know, basically hired guns that have a great resume that are more than happy to do that, that don't want to be saddled with a single game project for five or six years, right? So, you know, I think it's you can be responsible about how you do it. If that's your way, if that's your modus operandi to, you know, kind of staff up huge, get stuff, get through certain milestones of your project and then let people go, I, I think you could do it that way as well, I would think. Yeah. I don't know. My gaming company isn't doing so great. Probably because we, <laughs> mostly because we don't have a product. But theoretically, I know exactly how to handle things once we explode. You're ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I have my strategery. I really like, and another story, we're just going to just totally shift gears. Yeah. That Chris Roberts thanks to deciding, he's like, you know what, I'll, I guess I'm going to get back into this game industry thing. I'm going to try this Kickstarter funding and I'm going to make Star Citizen. That He's just showing up in news all the time. Uh, I, I didn't know much about this guy previously, but thanks to the internet, yeah, we can learn and hear about all sorts of people. <laughs> no, we knew nothing about Whether we want to or not. But it's, it seems like that Chris Roberts is actually pretty cool. And he, echoed, he just recently echoed in an interview over it massively, something that I think all of us longtime hardcore gamers have always felt that, yeah, PC, PC gaming may rise and, and fall, but never actually go away, and console games are great. But there's a there's always a good reason to play games on those devices. And it is cool that we have all sorts of new games on our tablets and on our phones, and it's getting so many other so many more people into gaming even more than the Wii did. Right. But there's there are still definite limitations to the hardware. I mean, until we start getting the ability for a phone to project a holographic control setup that is much larger than the phone itself and you can just wave your hands around minority report style right. to play a game. As long as we're tethered to actually having to hold a little tiny device in our hands and it's touch screen only. And our control scheme competes with the screen real estate, which is a big yeah. thing, right? Some games do that brilliantly. They're, they're just fine. But a lot of the games that we love, that we play with mice and keyboards or with game controllers, 
just you can't do it yeah on that platform and yet those games are freaking awesome and there's a reason to play them and there's a reason to spend 50 60 bucks on them or subscribe to them 15 dollars a month and chris roberts agrees with us yay big surprise <laughs> finally <laughs> finally you know it's like richard garriott saying you know that um you know facebook games are the future of gaming and then this guy who chris, richard garriott has said is like uh like a, the messiah of game um, designers comes out and complete and totally disagrees. <laughs> yeah, he talks uh, in in his interview with Massively. He brought up how yeah, Angry Birds is is awesome and it's very successful, but it's just a huge outlier. It's not something that's incredibly repeatable. There's not like really a magic formula to it, and yet much like game developers did with World of Warcraft. There are lots of people chasing after that magical pony of like, I can make a million, million, million dollars on smartphones too with my little simple game. Right. But it's not that simple. I mean, just like people trying to replicate the success of Tetris, for instance. <laughs> well, you have to have the theme song first. Dun, 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 dun. That's like platformers yeah. based off of Super Mario. That's a little bit more realistic. Fighting games that spun off of... Street Fighter. Street Fighter. First-person shooters. There are some formulas that are like, yeah, I can rinse and repeat and make some money off of it. But there's not like a, a really surefire blueprint for replicating Angry Birds. No, it's true. It's, you know, it was a bit of an anomaly, um, as he said. And it might be that World of Warcraft, as you said, for uh, mobile gaming where everyone will shoot for it and everyone will fail and be very up upset at the industry that's let them down. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he continued, he's like, you know, and that's great that there's can be six successes on the platform and that we can do so much in our phones now. But his analogy was like, you know, the quote is, for me, the analogy is I can watch Dark Knight Rises on my iPhone, but do I want to? I want to go see it on a big-ass iMac screen. I'm into games because I like to have that immersion, and I just can't do it on a mobile device, and I can't do it on a Facebook game. Word. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no no truer words were ever spoken. If I think yeah. immersive gameplay, I do not think of face, going right to Facebook or picking up an iPhone or a Droid. No, but I, those are great standbys, like when you're waiting for a plane at the airport, like I did. Totally. Flight or whatever, you just need to pass the time on the toilet, whatever it is. Th those are good. Well, for those uh, of you who do use the toilet, I suppose that would be... Yeah. <laughs> Versus a patch out in the woods. Right. I got my place settled down by my shack. Um, but yeah, anyway, it was just funny. I had a serious uh what did I what did I put in the notes? Mark identifies potential soulmate in Chris Roberts. This <laughs> <laughs> is like, wow, that that was good stuff. Of course, in contrast, we have Zynga. Yes, yeah, speaking of Facebook games and outliers or creators of models that just aren't sustainable or repeatable. Zynga, Masters of Farmville and Cityville and games that aren't as notable. Chasers of the the uh, social gaming cash cow. Yeah, there's been there have been a lot of news stories about Zynga, I think, in the last six months. A lot of them relating to like whether it was 
potential scandal with its executive leadership taking advantage of knowledge and uh, cashing in on stock or ripping other game companies off that they couldn't buy. Right. Or just like totally failing. I mean, I think Farmville 2 was launched or, or something too. I think it was a sequel. Yeah. And the and well, th- th- it's a 3D game engine, a lot more polished. There's Quest. There's actually some cool additions to it. I watched a little trailer for it. I'm like, wow, that's too. That's pretty cool. And it's not done that well. <laughs> and just the business in general. The stock price is really down with Zynga. So Zynga's like, hey, check this out. We're going to start getting into money gambling video games, and have entered a partnership with a company in the UK. Right, because it's illegal here still in the U.S. Yeah, so they're hoping to see if they can get some additional revenue there, but analysts are expecting it's not going to be a big source of revenue and are questioning even how the Zingle partnership is going to work beyond just like, hey, we'll license Farmville to you so you can make a hokey Farmville virtual slot machine (laughs) or something like that, Cityville poker game, who knows. If, if Zing is actually going to make a game or anything like that, there's not much that they can do in North America since it's illegal. They've got their Texas Hold'em poker game, which just uses fake money. Right. It's it's actually kind of a fun game if you like poker. But, uh, yeah, it's not not real money. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this is the solution to Zynga's woes and can start reversing its fortunes on the stock market. But for now, there doesn't seem to be a lot of pizzazz or enthusiasm about For it. For now, I, from my, my seat, uh, watching Zynga falter will continue to enjoy myself. <laughs> well, you know, I just think a company that's like ripped off so many, so many original ideas and, you know, marginally reproduced them or made it slightly better just because that's how they're totally geared to operate. I, I kind of like to see them sucking right now. Yeah, I don't know. It's karmic. Yeah, you could karma, instant karma. The last story that Mark found for Intrigetin was the a, a rather surprising reveal that Nintendo's new console, which goes on sale in I think just a few weeks, maybe two and a half weeks, I think it goes on sale the 18th, maybe or it's I, t- I take that back. It's it's a few weeks. Yeah, the 18th of November. Of course, right before Black Friday, it's going to be selling at a loss, which surprised me because it's selling for three hundred dollars. The base model. Jeez. Well, the only the only other time they've done that was the GameCube, I guess, historically. Yeah, th- this is actually going to be the first console they've sold at three hundred dollars. Right. This has been two hundred dollars until the Wii came out. That was sold at two fifty, but it came bundled with the game, so it didn't seem like as big of a, a penalty. Wii U, which many people claim is using graphics horsepower equivalent to the PS3 and the 360 is being priced higher than some PS3 or at least some 360 bundles. And people are like, why the hell is this so expensive if the graphics hardware is hardly any more powerful than what's out today? Yeah. And so tablet, the tablet controller is expensive. Oh, I guess so. Still, though, I mean... Yeah, that that it's going to be selling at a loss is actually the biggest surprise. Even though this price is more expensive than Nintendo's ever launched a console at, Nintendo is usually very shrewd and deliberately chooses older technology, more cheaper 
or, or cheaper, more easily available technology in the interest of never selling its hardware at a loss. And this time, yeah, because they'll never, ever do what some people had come up with as an idea is just license their games on, you know, anybody's hardware. So they'll always be tied to their hardware. It seems to be just a big part of their DNA. So they have to do it this way, but it's it is interesting that they're taking a loss on it, but I don't know how you can really even come close to competing without doing that if you keep it at a $300 price point. Yeah, because inevitably 316 is going to have price drop. Yep. Successors launch, and it's going to be a, a question to a, a person just finally deciding to buy a 360 PC. It's like, well, we use kind of cool, but the library for it is like 100 games, whereas PS360 have well over 1,000. Yeah, I know. What what are you um, you know what's your personal plan? I mean, are you going to just hold on and cherish your memories of Nintendo as it was and enjoy your um, PS3 and your Xbox 360 and your um, 3DS, uh, or are you going to jump in and buy this thing? Or I I think it sounds kind of cool, but I'm just I'm not I have no idea when I'm going to get it. Which is a little unusual because normally I'm pretty stoked about them. And yeah, I mean it was kind of like your identity as the Nintendo guy, so it's interesting. And yeah. I'm not picking on you. I'm just—it's just interesting to hear you be like kind of, kind of like you know, on the fence about it. I think there's a lot of pe- there are a lot of people out there who feel that way. Yeah. How much of it's the economy versus the launch titles, versus just the timing? Right. Right. Something that was really surprising, I read a story about Ubisoft. They said, somebody at Ubisoft said, they were surprised that the Wii U wasn't launching sooner. Wii U is going to have a really kick-ass looking Rayman game near its launch. It's going to release in January called Rayman Legends, which looks freaking awesome. Oh, that's cool. Ubisoft revealed, kind of revealing what timeline they thought Wii U was going to launch. They actually were originally developing the previous Rayman game, Rayman Legends, which came out last year, oh. mid last, early last year. Wow! Developing that for the Wii U, and it's like that game has come out and went on to win a lot of awards, and Wii U still hasn't come out. So it's like, well, I guess we'll make another one. You <laughs> <laughs> gotta do it now, huh? That's yeah, that's pretty interesting. Times are changing for Nintendo, I think. It's coming late. It's coming expensive. There's a lot of doubt, skepticism about the machine. There's some decent games coming out at launch, but much as with the 3DS, I need like a really killer, I gotta have that game. Right. Where I'm gonna commit to something that's expensive. Especially when I'm not sure what the lifespan's gonna be. I mean, I, I have to play the next Mario game. I know that without doubt, but I can wait. <laughs> until the value proposition is stronger. So, yeah, you won't be hearing me talk about Wii U when the system comes out. Sorry, listeners, I'm sure you're really disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) That and lawyer games and League of Legends game, uh, you know, specific game recaps, all those things will be missed. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I think that was pretty much our, our, our... 
all over the all over the place uh, intro getting for today. Yeah, a nice little potpourri. Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, uh, <laughs> my, I have lost the ability to speak, at least coherently. Um, we did get a uh, some email in our listener feedback area section of the podcast, if you will. So we'll go into that. Um, Hilgi wrote in and said, "Now this was in reference to." a miscommunication that Noah and I had uh, a few weeks back where he very clearly said that he was, what did you, now I can't even remember. You very clearly said you were going to go to PAX Prime and not Dragon Con, I guess. But at the time you had, but in a previous sentence, you had just mentioned that tickets had already gone on sale for. Yeah. I sent you an email saying, like, check it out. You better decide soon. PAX East is up for registration, which I can see you're like, well, Noah's saying this. This must mean that he's considering it. Right. But then I'm like, in the same email, I'm like, I'm probably not sure I'm going to do this. I, I think I'm going to probably go to PAX Prime instead because I have another vacation I'm going to do also next year. More than likely, fingers crossed that it works well, out. Well, yeah, you said, I'm not going to go to Dragon Con. I'm going to do PAX Prime instead because I'm have a. Vac- i going to go on a big vacation and so, in my mind, and because I'm like just not the not the most with it guy, I guess I was like, "Oh, so I need to get my ticket now, so we can go to Pax East," <laughs> which I which I here we paused on Pax Prime. We didn't get in. What's that? We were burned last year when oh, we yeah. didn't. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wait for Pax Prime. Yeah, so. I was like, I better do it, and I, I looked and I saw, saw that the three-day passes were in danger of being sold out, so I jumped on it. Then, and only then, after I had just spent the money, did I realize that Noah had been saying he was going to PAX Prime, so it was a big misunderstanding, and, and of course, you know, we made even more fun of it on a previous podcast, so Hilgi was responding to that, I said, let me guess, Mark has accident, already accidentally bought a ticket for this PAX Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and then he mentions the dates. It's official PAX Australia will be in Melbourne from Mel- the 19th to the 21st, July 2013. No, I did not accidentally misunderstand Noah yet again and purchase an airline ticket and a pass for PAX Australia. So the Outback is safe from, from me this, this time around. I won't won't be attending that one. I think it'll just be PAX East and Dragon Con for me. So Melbourne is a long ways from Sydney. I just no. can't imagine being on a plane that long. And I'm so naive about Australia. That's one of those places where I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but it seems like a place that would be really awesome to go on a vacation. Like, just pick a random place that you would really love to go on vacation to. Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound sure. like it. But when I think of Australia, the only city I ever think of is Sydney, of course. Yeah. Oh, everyone does. You see, you actually see the uh, the crazy um, amphitheater, right? When you <laughs> think of Australia. Yeah, it's it's just the cliche. Just like I'm sure people think of the Statue of Liberty when they think of New York City. Yeah. Like Melbourne, where is that? And then it's like on the southern. Yeah. Edge of Australia, like the lowest part that's closest to Tasmania, Ooh. and Sydney's over on the far. East Coast. I've been told the Tasmanian devils actually don't generate a tornado tornado when they move around. So <laughs> that's what I've been told. Well, I've been corrected. Tasmania. Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah. Thanks. Definitely not on this slide. I would love to go to Australia, but probably not under the 
the guys at the pack. No, I would go there for way different reasons. Yeah. Um, but thanks for writing in, Hilgi. Appreciate it. And uh, I gave laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Noah, what have you been playing? I have been playing my 3DS primarily, and I think that's probably going to continue for the next week as I am doing some house-sitting action where I don't have access to my video game consoles or my gaming PC. So I've got my 3DS, and it has been serving me well over the last week where I've been playing a really great tower defense slash action game starring an armadillo in a Western-themed world with lots of anthropomorphic... Is that right? Anthropomorphic animals. Really, really cool. Really, really well done. So I'm playing that. It's a downloadable game. And Resident Evil Revelations, what was once described as a full console style slash sized Resident Evil game, even though it didn't have a number behind it, it should be considered canonical and also just as meaty and substantive as the numbered Resident Evil games. I finished it this last weekend. Really exciting. Purely on the 3DS, it was really great. And it's it's another example of how I used to not be able to play the original Resident Evil because it freaked me out too much. It was too scary. And I saw some really nasty, gross things in this Resident Evil game, just as with other ones I've played since Resident Evil 1. Uh, but I was really excited to just finish it, and it's a fantastic game. It is definitely a must-buy if you ever have a 3DS. I would highly recommend it. It, it. I felt like, wow, I just finished my first truly console-style video game on my handheld. That is cool. Oh, very cool. Yeah, really mature, lots of voice acting, great cinemas, a story that isn't too stupid. It actually makes pretty decent sense. I'm really hoping, speaking of this, uh, this is a pre precursor to a general geekery thing. I love James Bond movies, but some of them have just the worst, most asinine, convoluted, stupid-ass stories. Like, what the hell is going on? Oh, well, yeah. And the ones that have stories that you can that make sense or a villain that's doing something that seems realistic or at least is fun. It's like, those are so much better than the ones that are like, like the Timothy Dalton ones. It's like, what the hell is going on in this license to kiss? Eh. Yeah. I think, I think most people would agree that the Timothy Dalton era was the darkest of the eras of the yeah. James Bond shows. Yeah. I'm with you there, man. The cheesy ones with Roger Moore. Yeah. Those were cheesy, but they were yet, yeah, but more entertaining. Yeah. So this, this ties into resident evil. <laughs> Some Resident Evil games have really stupid premises and stuff like that. And that just kind of, they're, they're campy. They're intentionally B-movie-esque, just like the movies that Mark and I love. Yes. They're, they're, but they're still entertaining. This one actually had a decent storyline. It was pretty cool. Oh, so good. definitely recommended. What about you, Mark? What have you been playing? <sighs> it's not very exciting. I've been... Um... I've been mostly playing League of Legends still. Um, oh, but this is the one thing I did get into. There's a little game on Steam called FTL for nine ninety nine, and I just love that game. Um, have you seen that, Noah, at all? Any ads for it or anything? No, I don't think so, huh? So it's, you know, faster than light. It's, yeah. uh, it's like um, kind of like a space simulator, uh, spaceship simulator, but with real hokey 8-bit graphics. Really great soundtrack, just really fun gameplay. Um, 
you basically are in charge of a, of a starship. I think I talked about this last week, but I just love it so much. Um, but you're in charge of a starship, and you fly. You're on a mission to outrun these rebels, and you're a feder. You're you're in this federation. You're out. You're trying to outrun the rebels, and um, you go from star system to star system, and you battle other ships, alien ships, and um, you know it's just the standard stuff. You you buy you know wep- you you acquire weaponry, buy weaponry, you acquire crew members who die at the most horrible times. There's no way to save the game, replay you know, back up or anything like that. It's just each time you play through it, it's from beginning to end, which is really old school. Um, but there's something about the difficulty of the game that makes it really enjoyable. And every time you play it, it's different. You you know, you, you can't buy the same thing every time at the same store. Uh, the map is, like, kind of randomly generated, I think, so it's never the same played through. And the, the random character names that you come to love you know that are that either live or die are always different, and it's just really an enjoyable little game. And for nine nine ninety nine, it's like a like I say a starship simulator. So I played that quite a bit, and uh, of course League of Legends. I've been trying to trying to just try a bunch of characters, different characters. With League of well, that is so hard to do. It is. It is really hard. And then like if you lose two in a row, you're like I'm gonna go play somebody I like because I just want to beat up on somebody. And so I've been doing that. And Tristana, they came out with a new skin for Tristana, so I did play her. I was going to bring that up. Yep. So I did. I did buy that and play her for a while. It looks really cool. It it looks pretty cool. Yeah. At first, when I first saw it, I was like, "Who's that new character?" And then she did the rocket jump, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's a Tristana skin that I don't have." So uh, did did play quite a bit of Tristana and Sona. And so you bring up a couple themes that. I, I wish that I'd mentioned. I, I'd remembered to put in the notes. So, in League of Legends news, Riot actually is doing something kind of exciting, and that they're updating their second. Map. Oh, the Trist- twisted tree line map with the uh, scary, yeah, lots of scary, scary like Halloween esque type theme. Yeah, well, they're they're completely overhauling it. They're putting like a speed area in it. They're rearranging the jungles. They're changing the way the paths are. They're changing the way the bases are set up in terms of where's the nexus at can you teleport or warp over the mm-hmm. wall to the nexus? there's a lot of wall jumping in that one and just like changing uh the whole jungle game and, the, and they're they're removing the ability to use wards it's just like they're really changing up a lot i there are a lot of people who are like why are you screwing with this this is bad i, I would say it was kind of like a 60 40 in the forums that People were upset and worried about it than they were excited. It's funny because I I would have thought that was the least played map in the game. Oh yeah, me too. You know, because uh, you know there's there's the 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 the, the well, I can't think of the main map name. The uh, some some yeah that that's like the typical you know three corridor five player map, and then there's Dominion, which is a totally different game style, and and I thought that the the you know, the tw- twisted tree line had kind of fallen by the wayside. You know, so I think it's something that needed to happen to kind of reinvigorate it. I agree, and I'm excited to see how the new gameplay elements play out, especially being able to capture neutral areas, kind of Tides of Blood esque. Yeah, I think that'd be great. The only thing they could do cooler, since you mentioned Tides of Blood, would be to make a three v three v three map. Yes. Oh my God, that would be just pure mayhem and so fun. Yes. And then they, I, I'm actually really excited about their marquee champion that they have coming out, tying in with all this Halloween oh, stuff. Oh, me too. Yeah, that, that looks really cool, too. 
In the original Dota, one of my favorite go-to characters was the Broodmother. You played the spider. What are called? What are they called in the main Warcraft game? The Crypt something? Crypt Fiend? Yeah, Crypt Fiend. Giant spiders. And you, and and, you can, yeah, the new one is like, she, she's either a spider or a female form, right? Yeah, she she warps. She can transform back and forth between this really cool human form with lots of extra legs to a full-on spider. And when you transform into a spider, the number of minions you've killed or something like that determines how many little spiderlings spawn with oh, you. Oh, man, that would be... So, uh, so sounds- yeah, and when Noah says he that was his go-to character, he was lethal with that that character in Dota. Just lethal. Oh, I loved collecting a whole army of little spider Oh, yeah. And you would always show up, like, you were, like, cavalry when we played. Like, we'd be like, oh, God, we're getting our... And then here would come Noah with, like, this horde of spiders, and we'd be like, <laughs> we're saved! We're saved! <laughs> life spiders freak me out. I am not a fan of spiders. Not, not like my son, who's held a tarantula a few times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially if they're aggressive. If they're aggressive, that just pisses me off. I'm like, oh yeah, you want to throw down with me? I'm gonna kill yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. But it's like kind of docile. Like if if I see a spider at work, I'll capture it in a cup and I'll let it out. Oh, that's pretty cool of you. But if it's aggressive and it's like, front legs up, I'm gonna bite you. Yeah. Like Mm-mm. you're gonna die. <laughs> Clemency or whatever it's called, amnesty. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Will not be granted no. to you. The other thing I wanted to ask you that you reminded me of when you were talking about faster than light is, I've heard from a friend of mine that. Primal Carnage is apparently a ton of fun. Oh, I haven't even heard of it. It's a game of, like, humans versus dinosaurs, and you can play either humans, which are first-person perspective, or dinosaurs, which are third-person. Hmm. Like, you can play a Pteranodon, and you can go and swoop down and pick people up and then drop them off a cliff. Or oh, wow. Whatever. Or you can play the humans and shoot as many dinosaurs as you can. I think it's running for 15 bucks or 10 bucks. It's not yet released, but if you pay now to buy it, you can get into the beta. Which for me, I'm like, ah, I've got so many games still to play, even though my friend is assuring me this is a lot of fun. Like, I don't know. But if there's anybody else out there who's tried Primal Carnage and would like to give it a thumbs up or or a thumbs down, let us know. Wow, the graphics look way... I, I, when you were describing it, I and I knew it was an indie game, I... It. I didn't think it would have the graphics that it has. Not to say diss indie oh. games, but it looks awesome. Yeah. It looks like Jurassic Park kind of yeah. another level. So it could be really fun. I, I don't understand. I don't know much about the mechanics or anything. It just looked only at the lightest of details. But if someone else out there can tell us more about it other than my friends, like, hey, you should play it. It's fun. I'm going to play it with my friends. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I would like more information, please. <laughs> info. Yeah, it does look cool, though. Huh, I'm going to check that out. Primal Carnage. Huh. That's it for me for gaming. Right Nothing on. Nothing else to say. In general geekery, though, you had an entire day of gaming. I did, and this is something I would have told you about... Last week. The other week, but I was out of town. But I wanted to talk about a game day. It was a board game day. And so you were really to- bored while you were gaming? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I got to play with one of my the DM for my current Dungeons and Dragons campaign, as well as Channel Massive longtime fans and listeners, Jason and Jim. Wow. It was really cool. Kicking it old it was, school. There was actually way too many games to play, as is always the case with any type of game day that the, the bunch of us do together. So we, we played a few. I, I feel like I'm leaving one out. But we started out with the game of Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is totally fun because... The game board is always different. You 
lay it out room by room by room just with tiles on the table. So it's it's always got a different layout. And there's 50 different scenarios. You start out working as a team, and then things get darker and darker, and then all of a sudden the haunt, quote-unquote, begins. And it's kind of a randomly chosen thing where, depending on what artifact is found in what room at a certain point in the game, you'll get one of 50 scenarios, which usually puts one person against the rest of them. And that one person's trying to kill everybody and the other people are trying to escape or kill the villain. And it could be a vampire, it could be aliens, it could be werewolves, ghosts. In our case, it was voodoo, and I ended up being the betrayer. <laughs> and, and I all of a sudden had voodoo dolls of the three other players of uh, Dan, Jason, and Jim. And I could choose what type of voodoo dolls I assigned to them. And then I got to choose where in the house that I hit them. And so they had to figure out, they had to find their voodoo dolls and destroy all of them. Or I had to kill them all. Wow. Well, that's cool. (laughs) And even if they killed me, I think, we weren't really sure on this, they still had to play because the voodoo dolls still existed. So even if they try to go out on a big assault on me, I'm like, well, you could still die (laughs) because of my evil spells. Uh And so I just kind of like drifted around the house like, why is he going over here? Why is he going over there? And I was just kind of totally like misdirecting them. And one of the dolls was really evil. It's like as the, the turns go on, the efficacy of these dolls increases and increases. And one of them, it's just like, it just it's an insta-kill of one of the characters. Oh, wow. And so I assigned that one to Dan, and he was the first to go. And then um, the one I assigned to Jim, unfortunately, he found it. And all I had to do was kill one more person. I had to kill more than half of the people. And I killed Jason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, he had it coming from that last game I played with him, where he like did not try to do anything aggressive. I'm glad to hear he got he got nuked. <laughs> had it coming. Yeah. So it it was pretty it was pretty cool, and I gave them these clues that they hated because they were from the gamers, like they were just cryptic, like oh dirt and thorns and stuff, and they're like. What the hell is that supposed to mean? And it meant that one of the dolls was in the conservatory where there's plants growing. Oh. But yeah, these are really cryptic and they were mad at me. And I'm like, I can't help it. I'm just playing the game. <laughs> right. But oh, as that's... it turned out, Jason's favorite game of the bunch is like, I just love that game. We played oh, two other cool. games for the group. We played Gubs, which is kind of a, a really wicked card game from GameRight, who's made a lot of other great family games that I love. But I can't say I totally recommend it. I love the art style. It's really well done. But the way that the rules are going, you don't really understand what the hell you're doing or why you're doing it. You just know that you don't want other people to kill these things that you're holding on to. And it's just like, eh, it's a little too abstract for my taste. Then we busted out Small World, which I had a lot of fun playing at a, with a group of people at some other random game night from long ago. But there's just a lot of rules, and it was kind of rough starting out. But near the end of it, once somebody won, which I can't even really remember, I think it was Jason. No, it was Jim. I think Jim won. Jim won a game and Jason won a game. Jason won Gubs. I won Betrayal of House on the Hill and Jim won uh, Small World. So Dan didn't win anything? Dan didn't win anything, no. Oh. It was sad. It is sad. It's like, man, did you give him like a a helmet or anything to wear? No. No. (laughs) But we we had a really good time. Once we got to the end of a 
a long game of like punching out tiles and all this other crap and getting ready for the game, reading the manual. It's like, okay, I think I know how this works. And actually it's kind of cool. But at that point, the evening had gotten too late. So we had to go. Uh, well, I'm sorry. You were at your beer festival. I was, I drank a lot of beer, uh, one ounce at a time. It's really funny because this time around I drank less than I ever have at one of these things, which was to say quite a, quite a little bit. Um, I mean, I didn't drink much. And um, what was really funny was I noticed how drunk everybody else was. But not you. But not me, yeah. Because I was just really worried about a DUI or something. Because, you know, you're right in the middle of downtown, and, you know, I just I just didn't need that. And the first night I rode a shuttle down from um, Lakewood to downtown Denver and back. So that worked out pretty well. But uh, for the weekend, I couldn't do it. So... It was fun, though. Not as fun as what you guys did, I don't think. Well, we'll definitely have another game day soon. And I think maybe if it's if it's video game related, we should do some Torchlight since it supports LAN play. I know. I was wondering if we, sh- we could try that out after the podcast tonight just to see how it works. I have not played that with anyone. Oh, cool. Right on. Yeah. Or we'll have... Because there's still we we didn't get to play Game of Thrones, and I had another game that we didn't even get into uh, called Ticket to Ride that apparently is really really good. So yeah. there's more. To- Looking forward to it. I brought my Game of Thrones game that night just in case I got away from the beer festival, but there was no way to escape. <laughs> Do you have any other updates of your own for the general geekery section? Oh, yeah. Um, so last week uh, with Bob on as the co-host, for General Geekery, I talked way too much about this DVR I've been building, and I'll just give an update to say, in case anyone wants to do it, I'll probably do a little post about it, like a good build, but I found out that with modern technology and modern TVs, you know, you want to use HDMI, really, so you get your, your you know... 8.1 or 7.1 uh, digital audio in combination with your digital video, and you get really good resolution and everything. And that was kind of how I had planned on doing it. So I bought this, um, I, I bought a mini ITX for the motherboard for it, which is using this AMD Fusion chipset, which is pretty cool because it's like a GPU and a CPU combined in one, and it comes with the board, and the whole thing was 78 bucks. The only problem was, and this I think Noah, you might agree, is kind of a kind of a kind of a killer is when you turn off the TV at night, it apparently kills the video signal probably due to some kind of HDCP, which is the copyright protection part of HDMI, which is total bullshit, by the way. Um, when, when you turn the TV back on, it, the HDMI has essentially been like shut down with that chipset. And the forums were ablaze with people just complaining and bitching about it. And I, of course, wasn't too happy either. And uh, so I switched it out with a different chipset, um, just got a traditional Intel motherboard. I now, for my little DVR that I'm building, have a more powerful processor in that than I have, and, and twice the RAM that I have in my gamer. But when I turn the TV off and back on in the morning, I don't have to reboot the stupid DVR to um, be up and running. So, so that's interesting. And I tell you what, these... These little homebrew hardware projects are slippery slopes. <laughs> yeah, it got really expensive really fast. It went from $78 for the motherboard combo to way more than that, and I felt really guilty doing it. Um, so <laughs> I, right, when, I, 
<laughs> oh, yeah. I had just overcome that hurdle when my um, TV upstairs died that, we, that I was planning on oh. running it through. Um, I had just – the lamp, it's a, it's a, it's a seven-year-old um, HD DLP, and the lamp had died once, and I had replaced it, and it, it died again like about three weeks ago, and I put a new lamp in it. Well, it went out again this morning. No. And yeah, and it looks like there's this um, thing called a ballast board in it, which is kind of, I think it's capacitor heavy. It's supposed to keep the, it's supposed to help provide enough power to get the lamp ignited and keep it going. And apparently the resistor on that thing can go south. And when it does, you get like a popping noise, which I did here. And then you get a lamp that explodes. So now the lamp, the new lamp has been exploded, most likely burned out. Um, and this board is shot and I have to, and I have to dig into that. And it looks like it's like a, an hour long, maybe an hour and a half long procedure to pull the thing out and <laughs> figure out what I need to do. So yeah, I'm kind of bummed about that, but it gets worse because even if I had a different, I do have a, a the old TV, we have like a Sony Bravia, which is pretty decent, um, that we've been using, but it's just so small compared to what we had. Mm. Um, then the Comcast smart card that I was using for my tuner, um, that thing has uh, been shut down by Comcast because they figured out that I had pulled it out of a DVR. So I solved that by going to Comcast, and now I'm renting a smart card for $1.50 every month um, instead of $50 worth of equipment. But um, so, so in the end, it's a good deal, but it's just a pain in the butt. So... That's what I'm doing. And I'm reading a sci-fi book right now called um, Endymion from the Hyperion Cantos by Dan Simmons, and it's blowing my mind. It's pretty interesting stuff. Like real, Well, real, and it's cool to hear that is each, with each book, it's just not going down in quality for you. You're still enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, each book is so different. Um, the first two books have a lot of the same characters. I mean, it's a kind of a continuation. It's kind of like a story split between two books, but it changes... The narrative changes quite a bit um, in the between the first and second. This third book is like 260 years later, and all all the characters are different except for maybe a couple, um, who, due to the fact that it's a science fiction novel, have life extension stuff going on. But um, it's yeah, it's really wild. It's such a wild ride, and some of the concepts in it are just really unique and, and imaginative and disturbing. Uh, for instance, excellent. They have. In this, in the book, you know, he's really good about the writer is really good about pointing out, you know, that faster than light travel is difficult, and so these guys made this ship that goes really, really, really fast. But even with any kind of inertial dampler, dampeners or any kind of a containment field, the people that are piloting the ships are basically um, reduced to like a, a, you know, red jam smear because they're crushed by the acceleration and deceleration. Oh, wow. And um, so it kills you, but they have this resurrection technology that brings them back. So it basically, upon arrival at the new star system, all of their, uh, what's left of their body is scraped into a pile, and three days later they resurrect. Um, so <laughs> it's got this crazy concept. That Weird. It's really mind-blowing and strange, and it's wrapped up in, in like a, kind of a religious context. Um, in a in a really imaginative way, not a not a bad way, and so really enjoying it, reading through it, trying to take my time and enjoy it. I I interleave that with a 
Wheel of Time book as I'm trying to reread that so that I don't so I can keep the books separate and everything. Going through that. And that's about it for my geekery. Wow. Impressive. And frustrating. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the first part was not really fun to listen to. It was just all these things going yeah. wrong. It's funny because I found out after all of this work to build a DVR, and granted it'll be a DVR that can do, you know, it, not only will it be a DVR and can do Netflix and Hulu and play YouTube videos that are not allowed on anything but a PC and, you know, um, do Xbox Media Center and it, it can strip commercials out of whatever it records. So it's a little more than what a TiVo does. But I am reminded now, having bought the or rented the smart card that I could have just bought a TiVo that accepts smart cards and been done with this project. So, you know, for 200 bucks or something. So kind of feeling a little silly there, but maybe it'll be worth it in the end. But on to the round table. Yes. So our theme for the round table is ethics. Ethical responsibilities of game design was covered by Braid developer Jonathan Blow in, in no less than one hour and 40 minutes worth of YouTube <laughs> Wonder, um, I don't know, Noah, how many times have you watched the video now? Have you committed it all to memory? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, if you don't want to read that, you can just go to uh, Reddit and look up a video Jonathan Blow talks about the, and uh, you can find a whole bunch of comments, which are actually really entertaining. But basically, the whole thing he's talking about is just, he's giving a speech, and, and people tend to think of him as kind of arrogant, I suppose you would say, um, indulgent. Well, yeah, he's got like one game to his name that was really popular and, and really well done, and it's fantastic, and he's new on the scene from that perspective. But one great game does not an expert make, in my opinion. And yet he is quite sure of himself and his opinions and that he has a lot of things figured out in the world of gaming and game design. And this kind of supports that uh, characterization, I will say. Right. And it's it's interesting because he did another YouTube video on prototyping. And, you know, Braid is fairly simple, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, it's a platformer. It's a platformer with, like, a kind of some a unique art style, which he hired an artist to do. But this other game that he was showing in his demo and prototyping, I don't think I'm confusing him with anyone else, but it was like 3D, and it would actually take gestures, kind of like um, black and white or art. Yeah, and it's kind of mist-like in terms of its design. Yeah, he was working on something like that, radically different than Braid, you know. So, But anyway, in this video, he um, he kind of talks about the question is, are games like Farmville evil or not, you know? And is it is it is it is it actually evil or immoral, unethical to to come up with a game that is A addictive and B allows you to spend money to get ahead of your competitors or get ahead in the game and, you know, actually can cause the right the right combination of personality traits in one person to kind of go in a, go to a very bad place with the game as far as being dependent on it and being addicted, such as the story of the mother whose 
um, daughter died or son or daughter died in a bathtub while she was playing Farmville because she wasn't checking in. And it, the, the kid was like not old enough to be in a bathtub unsupervised, an infant. Um, you know, all the different stories you hear about people who are spending way too much money with, uh, um, you know, their in-game transactions. That's kind of the that's kind of the crux of it. And I don't know. Do you have any strong opinions one way or the other around this? Nor do you just think, hey, if you have an addictive personality, you ought to know not to play video games. You should stick with your martinis. Or uh, yeah, I think it's it's uh, there's some kind of catchphrase that sums this up. But I will more ineloquently express my opinion in that you're, you're going to burp. This is kind of yep. like well. <laughs> Gosh, uh, this is not the greatest comparison, but there, there here is one cliche catchphrase that some people like to say in relation to gun control. It's that it's not guns that kill people; it's people that kill people. You know, it's right. kind of like, are you going to blame the gamers for their? Are you are you going to? blame the game for enabling gamers to have self-destructive lifestyles? I mean, is it really a game developer's moral obligation to create things that improve the world and have no addictive qualities whatsoever? I mean, it's not like these are drugs or something like that. Right, Uh, right. It's just like, you know, some people, if they have those kind of personalities or if they have those... Uh, challenges to face, they have to either identify the situation to get out of it or or hopefully have a support system, a family member, a a spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, that will say, hey, all right, enough of that. You know, not all of them do, unfortunately, but that doesn't mean that it's then the game designer's fault that somebody got addicted to your game and did something really bad. Yeah, it's... It's true. I mean, there is you have to have some kind of like personal responsibility. Nonetheless, people who develop games knowing that they are going to catch a certain percentage of personality types, yeah. That does seem to be kind of a uncool thing to do. Isn't that what all MMOs are about? Yeah, we've we've known it since Ultima Online came out. Even before that, with Muds and Mushes, I mean, there were people who were spending an inordinate inordinate amount of time playing those games. Um, when I was going to college, people were playing Muds and Mushes oh, yeah. in the in the lab, and the people that were playing those the most were not the ones that were blowing us away in our classes as far as the, you know, what they were contributing. So not to say that I'm I'm not saying that, you know, who am I to, you know, say you shouldn't put a lot of time into gaming. I certainly have have a podcast. Well, wouldn't you want as a game developer, I mean, you can kind of speak to this because you're working on a game yourself, but games that, unless they have a really heavy emotional statement or or story, games that aren't long or don't seem meaty or don't have some kind of filling to them are usually criticized for it. And I think as a game developer, you would want to make your game feel like you're getting your money's worth and that it's fun and that it's something that people want to come back to again and again and again. That's the definition of a successful game. Yeah. No, that's true. 
you you know, like Diablo, um, there was a formula in Diablo 2 that was just about perfect. And they missed it in Diablo 3, yet Torchlight and Torchlight 2 have managed, have managed to swoop in and totally find that formula. Of, a, you know, where it is, you do want to keep playing. You do want to go, go farther, and you do get a little bit addicted to it. Because one of the things I think talked about in this article was... Are you thinking about the game all the time when you're not playing it? Mm-hmm. That's kind of a sign that you might have a problem. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't think about League of Legends when I'm not playing it. I don't, uh, you know. You don't? I do. No, I, I really. I don't play it as much as you do, though. That's yeah. Maybe I maybe I get <laughs> enough out of my system. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's an it's it's the the ethics of it are interesting. I. I do think that to deliberately design something where you can take advantage of people financially with a game by allowing them to, you know, um, you know, the rich kid syndrome where, you know, this kid has this much time, but this kid has this much money so he can achieve whatever he wants. And if he's addicted to it, then he's going to spend all his time and his money on it and his life's going to totally suck. That I don't like so much. Yeah, I agree. It's it's bad game design to allow financially uh, based shortcuts to success. Yeah. I think pay to win. I always thought that was, I I think, you know, as long as that's crappy. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's something that, you know, is like a cosmetic thing or an interesting pet that follows you around, but can't impact the game. That's fine. I don't care if, you know, I only have a gerbil and you have like a dragon, you know, as long as my gerbil still does the same amount of damage as your dragon, I'm totally happy. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I don't know. It's, I feel like there's more to be said about it, but I really just think it comes down to, you know, when you design a game and you specifically set out to take advantage of people, then I, I, I hope that if there is such of a thing as karma, you, 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 you put you so <laughs> mm-hmm. probably you don't, but you know, look at Zynga, they're, they they have from a uh, being good to their community point of view, um, as far as Farmville, um, as far as ripping off the ideas of other developers, they are now starting to decline. And you know, I just kind of hope it continues because I'm full of love for Zynga. And that is a wrap for our meaty little discussions on recent video game news and what we've been playing it's great to be back in the hosting seats with you there mark oh you too man and hopefully the list hopefully listeners out there you enjoy the episode and we, we are recording it with a slightly different technology setup than we usually do so i'm just gonna say retroactively i don't know until i actually edit it if this is gonna be the case if there's anything weird about it we apologize. Yeah, if all my audio is backwards, we'll know we'll know what was it went wrong. But yeah. it might be the most coherent I've ever been on one of these. So <laughs> otherwise, thank you as always, listeners, for listening to our show. If you have any comments or feedback or jokes that you want to send us, like good old Hilgi Scott did this last week, send them in to mail M-A-I-L. at channelmassive.com. We'll be back next week. We bid you adieu.